Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, what are you drinking today? Well, this is a weird choice for a midday afternoon, uh, but I wanted to be kind of celebratory because I'm about to finish grading for the rest of 2021 when I wear my English teacher hat. Um, So that calls for a pretend vodka tonic. And I say pretend because it's not tonic. It's a sparky water. Um, And I'm not even a big vodka fan, but we're not big drinkers around here. So we don't keep a lot of stuff around the house. And so it's like, well, I wanted gin. We don't have gin. So tonic it is. I mean, vodka it is. And I wanted lime. We don't have lime. So orange it is. So I made it up. So it's it's a vodka, orange, sparky water. And to take it further, it's the flavor you don't like, which is coconut. But I like it. So it tastes like, I know, it tastes like something you should drink in your like inflatable pool in the backyard because you're kind of a redneck, which we did at the start of the pandemic. And not right before Christmas. So I'm not proud of this drink, but it's actually tasty. So I'm going to go with it. You have but a face. No, there's no like vanilla. Drink. There's no, no vanilla or nutmeg or cinnamon. No, I no know. I'm going to do that. I plan to do that for Christmas tide when it comes. I want to get, I want to do more of that fall down recipe with the apple cider and the the rum or the bourbon, but we don't have that right now. Okay. <laughs> well, something hmm. that belongs in July. So oh, well. that's okay. This uh, episode of a drink with a friend is brought to you by the month of July. Right. Right. So how about you? I'm sure it's something just as festive being in your office. In the well, of the yeah, I wanted, uh, yeah, I really, really wanted to be drinking uh, eggnog for this, <laughs> our last edition of the year. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I am in my office, and we don't have any eggnog, if you can believe that. It's something about just a bunch of attorneys hanging out <laughs> on a random you know, weekday that doesn't call for eggnog, I guess. I don't know. Right. So I went to my refrigerator, the office breaker refrigerator, and I pulled out the Fancy Dancy Perrier. So I'm drinking uh, French sparky water today. Yeah, fancy water. I, Fan- I dig fancy it. Fancy Dancy water. Yeah. I'm actually not a big Perrier fan because it feels like they're not trying hard enough. Like it's, it tastes like water that's been like sparkling water that's been sitting out. You know, the thing is, Tish, is if we had gone back and had this conversation 10 years ago, you would have likely said, "Eh, you know what? I don't like Perrier because I feel like they're trying too hard. <laughs> it's true. But now, in this age yeah. of like hyper bubbly flavored sparky water with real fruit juice, yeah, Perrier is just kind of Perrier. That's true. That's true. They're not impressive it's, anymore. I'm. I guess I've become a sparky water snob. Yeah, yes, it's, that's right. you know, the bourgeois don't drink <laughs> yeah. that stuff anymore. That's right. That's right. Uh, funny. Well, this is our last episode of 2021, which is crazy because it's not crazy in that I'm ready for a break. Like this after this week, I am not teaching for the rest of the year and I am hopefully not doing as much of my own work for the rest of the year. But I just can't believe it's already time for 2021 to end. I felt like 2020 took forever in this second year in pandemic tide took, I, I don't know, it just went a lot faster. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, honestly, it feels like just yesterday that the 20, 2019 was here. I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember this, but, or I guess it was 20, 2020. 
Yeah, see, I can't even keep my ears straight anymore. But uh, at the close of 2019, I was prepared to uh, make my way to California, which I did. I was meeting with a group of friends um, outside of Santa Barbara, California, which is a lovely uh, place uh, to visit. And if any of you know anyone from Santa Barbara, you know this. It's 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 paradise. Mm-hmm. So I touched down in January 2020 of Santa Barbara on the day that Kobe died. Wow. It's very sad. It was a very sad day. And I said, you know, we touched on and Mm. it was a very small airport. I don't know if you've ever been to the Santa Barbara airport, but it's very, very small. Mm. And it was like, people were whispering and it was like making the rounds. Like the first thing that my um, driver said to me was Kobe died. Uh, My Uber driver. And I I think back to that moment a lot because that was such a a sort of a bombshell moment. And like from that moment on, it seemed like the world kind of started unraveling as weird as that is, but I I sort of mark it with, you know, 2020s, uh, you know, the passing of Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. And from that time on, it's been like breakneck speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I remember back then, you know, there's Kobe Bryant. There was the um, Australian wildfires that were happening in January. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh, it's already January. Yep. And this is going to be the story of the year <laughs> yep. in 2020. Uh, thinking, yeah. like, epic things would happen. And that was pre-pandemic. Yeah, and I remember thinking in 2019, it can't get any worse. And then all of a sudden, January 2020 rolls around. I'm like, holy crap, this is going yeah. to go downhill from here. Uh, but I had no idea like th- yeah. that it would get that bad. You're right. Um, and the last two years, really legitimately for me, I don't know if this is true for the rest of your uh, listeners, but I mean, dude, it's just flown. So no, I can't believe we're at the end of, of 2021 and entering into 2022. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you know, I've been reading some of the Stoics lately and uh, life is vapor and dust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot because Lent is coming up and, you know, my my book for Lent is going to be out soon. And so I've been starting to do interviews, which is a very weird thing. That's a whole other side story to talk about Lent during Advent because it's Advent as we record this. And I want to just, I want to be in Christmas mode, but here I am talking about Lent. And I've just been so reminded of that whole, like, um, a holiday that, or I guess a season in the liturgical calendar that starts with, by the way, in case you've forgotten, you're going to die. Yeah, um, that's right. And so I feel like that is sort of, you know, I, I remember seeing memes at the start of, of uh, lockdown that's like, this is the lentiest Lent we've ever lented, you know, like just super long. Um, in yes. some ways it still just feels like the longest Lent, um, even in the midst of other seasons. And it's not, I mean, I don't want to start off like with doom and gloom that it's all been bad. In fact, the rest of this episode, we're not going to be talking about like how it's all been bad, but um, it is just a weird season. And I think, you know, when we think about how it's affecting our kids for the long term and affecting our work and our, just our rhythms and our practices, um, it can feel overwhelming, but I think there's also some good that I can see. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, not good about the pandemic, but good in my own personal life. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, important to remember too, when we talk about calendars and seasons and all of these things, I mean, I think each, each season come with its, comes with its own reflection point, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I am who I am. And so I guess I'm always going to use every turning of the season for a new point of reflection, but just because it's not 
Lent and just because it's not, you know, ashes and sackcloth or whatever, but there's the celebration of joy and uh, the coming of something new, the birth of something new. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't stop and, and reflect on the reality of life. And the reality of life is, man, we are moving at a breakneck speed. At 44, I can now say that with absolute authority. Um, so weird. You know, yeah. if we just like grabbed our microphones and walked over to, to uh, you know, the, the, your local coffee uh, shop uh, and sat down with Karen, what would she say? She'd right. say the same thing. Exact same thing. Yep. Right. Life moves yep. at breakneck speed. And so as we're in this season, I mean, for me, one of the things I want to do is pause and stop and reflect and say, okay, you know, what does 2021 mean for me? Um, what were some things that went poorly? What were some things that went really well? What were the joy points? What were the points of sorrow? And, and how mm-hmm. can I carry those into 2022 in a new way? Yeah. Well, and I think too, because I've, I've been doing this practice for a decade now at the start of a calendar or the end of a calendar year and the start of a new one that, you know, it's very easy for us to just think about what we want to do differently in the new year you know, this is where the resolutions come in, where we all know barely work. Um, But people always have this like new year, new you kind of idea with goals and plans and words of the year. And that's all well and good. And they have their place. But I think sometimes we skip over the reflecting of the past year too fast. You know, we're so eager to start the new that we forget that the new is new because it's the end of a, a different season. And it's nice to remember, it's it's more than nice. It's actually healthy and good to remember where you've been because it makes the where you're going that much more intentional and yeah. possibly life-giving. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So to that end, you are mm-hmm. the master of question asking, asking, question asking, question asking. Asking questions. You yeah. are the master <laughs> of asking questions, at least in certain contexts. I mean, I feel like, you know, I ask questions in depositions in courtrooms. So that's one type of question asking. But you ask these really good introspective questions. And mm-hmm. as we sit here today, you sent me a list of questions that you contemplate that you ask others to contemplate. Um, and I think it's kind of an annual tradition for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's ways I do it differently. You know, I've written about it um, for a long time. And so if you're a longtime reader of mine, you, you're probably well aware of these 20 questions, but um, I do it differently. There are times when I've actually like, we've printed them out in a little grid and just drawn out of a hat, you know, and done it as a family. Um, just ask some of these. There's other times when I journal. There's other mm. times when I don't do anything other than I just kind of pick two or three and think about it. So it's mm-hmm. not so much this like dedicated, I'm going to go really deep with all 20 questions um, and really come to some big, powerful, monumental conclusion. It's just a guide, really. It's a guide that helps us, you know, think through what matters. And so I, I created this online many years ago as a gift to other people, just to an invitation really to as you're doing your new year's eve thing whether that's like watching the ball on the screen or maybe it's like not even new year's eve literally but it's just that hustle and bustle time of year you're wrapping presents and you just want to spend some time thinking these are more pointed ways you can think about the past 12 months so yeah which I love these. I think we're going to walk through some of them today, just going back and yeah. forth and answering some of them, which I think is a fascinating idea, mostly because as I've reflected on these questions, they're all super hard to answer. I can't imagine yeah, answering are. these like just on the fly. 
I know. Well, like, where's, where, I guess, where, where's, where's the question? What's your favorite color, Tish? Come on, man. I know. And I think um, because of that, we have all permission in the world to both change our mind and just answer like surfacey, not surfacey, like not like shallow, but meaning like, for example, one of the questions is like, what's the single best thing that happened this year? Okay. You, you could spend hours thinking about that, or you could just say, you know what, this is the first thing that comes to mind. And that must mean that was something kind of important. I'm going to just go with that. Kyle and I do a lot of this um, on our anniversary, you know, when Mm. it comes to like, since our last anniversary, what was the best thing? And I could spend our entire dinner date, like, okay, there was that. Okay. Is that better than that? And that's no fun, you know, or I, even more than that, it's not, no fun. It's not helpful, you know, to like get into knots. So just use these as like a springboard to just to debrief really from the year. That's really what all this is about. So, so yeah, I mean, with that I, in mind, wait, should we yeah. do this? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that begs the question. What's the single best thing that happened this past year to you? Oh, so we're going to do that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, you didn't want to wade into the shallow end. It's your fault. That is my fault. That's the one I start with. Okay, so I'm going to practice what I preach and not overthink this because I would say that there are some pretty good things that happen. And I'm going to maybe not answer the best thing. And then, but I'm going to be okay with that because I don't want to kick myself. Um, probably the best thing that happened was um, our month in Oregon. So I'm going to just go with that. We spent a month in Oregon and we've done that before. This wasn't, you know, a brand new practice, but there was something really life-giving about moseying up to Oregon this time that felt different. I think one, our kids were a little bit older. And so Mm. they just, they tolerated the long drive a little bit better. Um, Two, it was, it had been a long time since we had seen that side of the family because of COVID tide. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, it felt like an extra special reunion to see the family. And then three, I think there was just something in that, like there was a settling in our souls that just felt so much more at peace than it had in the past where, you know, sometimes when you go visit extended family, you kind of have to psych yourself up. You're like, okay, yeah, totally. We're going to be like this and not like this, this topic. We're not really going to breach this, this, you know, and then we're going to get together and we're going to talk about it all the way home. And there wasn't that as much. I'm not going to say it was all just roses, but it was really lovely. And so, I don't know, I can look back and say, I'm grateful for that month. It was just, it was life-giving and not exhausting. So, that's that's a gift, I think. Um, So, that's my answer. I'm going to actually say for you, a a similar question on this list is, what was an unexpected joy for you this past year? Well, that's easy. Um, so, you know, we've talked about this before. We, we had a whole episode on the fact that you like, we have to move our bodies. Like this is a very important part of living exercise is an important part of living. Um, and then I sort of outed myself this year on this show as a CrossFit, uh, dare I say, bro, I hate that word. Um, and I'm really not that you're not. No, I try not. not to be that, but I do use it as uh, a modality of exercise. And in fact, there's another really good author that I love and know very well, who's a massive CrossFit CrossFit sort of freak. And we should have him on the show, and I'm not going to disclose who it is. But oh, okay, I was going to say anyway. anyway right. um, so th- that was my exercise modality. Uh, it is my exercise modality of choice. I do like to also run long distances, but this was kind of my thing. 
for the year. And at some point this year, um, Isaac, my oldest, uh, decided that he wanted to lift heavy bars and jump over large boxes and double jump over ropes. And so he began to join me uh, in the afternoons for CrossFit. And, and so I had to switch my workout time to kind of do this with him. Um, And then about three weeks ago, uh, my second born decided to join me too. And so now the three of us are doing it together and, um, we're all very, very different. You know, Isaac is the consummate athlete and he's already surpassing dad. And, um, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily the consummate athlete. And so things are sometimes hard. Uh, but what I will say is being with my kids, uh, in that environment, doing hard things, working hard, sweating, uh, near dying together, lying right. on the floor at the end and saying, Oh, I can't breathe. Are, is, are my lungs about to come out of my nostrils? Um, you know, as awful and painful as it sounds, it's been amazing and it's been such a good joy just to be with my kids in an environment where we can all sort of do something together that is difficult. Um, and yeah. I can look at them and say like, if you guys can do this, you can do anything. And yeah. and that's been a really amazing joy for me this year. There's gotta be some good dad teaching moments from that. I mean, you don't want to be too heavy handed on that because then you get the eye roll, but I don't know. There's a lot of life application to CrossFit. I yeah. And I think part of the big one that I'm just trying to push in and you know how I feel about the pain cave. And I don't know if we have a hundred percent talked that out here. I'd love to do a whole series on the pain cave one time before I die. We should. Or maybe right we on should. It. We Who talked knows? about it offline, but I would love to do that. Yeah. yeah and I love, it. I just love the idea of entering into pain voluntarily to see what you're made of. And I think that's really the only thing I'm trying to sort of uh, drill into them through this is, hey, look, life is complicated. It's volatile. It's uncertain. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, and and there is going to be a certain amount of pain that possesses a life. And so if you just know that pain is neither good or bad, it just is what it is. And we press through mm-hmm. it. Um you know, and overcome, then you can, you can sort of apply that to everything. So that's really the only thing I'm trying to teach them right now in a world where we're sort of soft. I hate to say that. Is that too much to say? I think our kids, like broadly, the generation, um, there's not a lot of grit. And so I, and I don't want to, I, I'm sure for every, yeah, I'm sure there are people listening that say, uh, have you met my kid? So I'm not trying to, broad brushstroke. But yeah, I see that as a teacher, I see the need for more grit. And so, um, yeah, I, I think the whole, we can do hard things idea is a good thing to learn when you're young. But you know what else, like to be fair to our kids, you know, we grew up with Nirvana and Pearl Jam. We didn't really have a word. We we were latchkey kids. A lot of us, you know. I mean, there was there was nothing gritty about us. I mean, it was not true. I mean, we didn't have technology, but we were a very very apathetic bunch. If you think back, that's a good point. Good point. Point Probably every generation. Well, at least our generation, certainly our, our parents had that criticism of us. You know, the Vietnam era was like, what have you guys done that was hard? That's um, a very good point. And these kids, I mean, not I don't want to blame everything on COVID tide, but there's stuff going on there in their, you know, low-key trauma and just emotional stuff that makes the being a teenager right now especially challenging. So, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So I think that brings us to my turn to ask a question <laughs> for you. Yeah. And this is the one I really want to talk to you about. 
What were the oh. best books that you read this year? Oh gosh, I had a feeling you're going to ask that. And as I was looking at it, I thought I should have written this down. Um, like, honestly, one thing I want to do better in 2022 is write the books down that I wrote or that I read. I'm not great at that. Kyle's great at that. I'm not. Okay. So because of that, I'm going to go with what comes to mind. The first one that comes to mind is Brideshead Revisited. So Come on. I read, yeah, I read that over the summer for the first time. It was one of those, like, I'm finally reading this book I've wanted to read for years. And I know how you feel about it. And, um, I know how I feel about it. And I've told you a little bit, but that was such a great example to me of storytelling without the pretty bow on tied up at the end, yet still so dadgum sacramental that you can't help but find hope, you know, like there's a lot of those books out there that purposely don't tie a pretty ribbon at the end, but you just are left feeling like, well, I, yeah, I need to keep the mashes on my head. Um, Yeah. And that was not this at all. There was hope the whole time. Um, even though just the characters, there were some that were just phenomenally unlikable. And yet some that, well, I say that it, there weren't, it wasn't like in a great Gatsby kind of way where there's nobody to root for. You're rooting a little bit for everybody, but nobody's part. I don't know. It, to me, it was just such a great example of telling truth by way of story that leaves you with a little bit of that sparkle of hope so that there is some of that. Um, it's just, it's not so realistic that yeah. you um, feel like you're driving through the dust bowl mm-hmm. <laughs> a la Steinbeck, but it's still, yeah. um, I don't know. It, it's still very real, even if we're never going to be socialites in England. Yeah. And I, I think I would argue that there was a pretty bow at the end of that book but i would argue mm. that it was a black bow and that sometimes oh. people look at black and they're like oh that's kind of dark but you're like no actually it's still very beautiful it was very beautifully tied um that's good. I, I just there's yeah. something about that book that at the end where you like you said you walk away thinking it was beautiful in a way it was refreshing um yeah. the, even the most even the worst characters had these like threads of like redeeming humanity. I say that for the most part. Um, and then obviously, you know, the storm, the storm is a character. Yeah. I still, I still can't oh. handle how wonderful that was. That whole scene. That, that's a standalone story within a story. And I loved it. Yeah. hundred percent. Fantastic. Okay. What else? Well, you, that was the only okay, one so book. Yeah, there's that. Um, there's other fiction as well, but I'm going to actually park a little bit on the first half of the year. Um, we will probably pull on this thread a bit more in the new year when we talk about yours and my separate um, faith stories, faith journeys, for lack of a better word. Um, but I will just say that Kyle and I used the pandemic as a time to really explore where we belonged and God made it pretty darn clear that um, we belonged under the umbrella of the Catholic Church. So with that in mind, um, we I started the year still reading a lot about it because we became Catholic February 6th. And so um, not to say like that meant all my questions were answered, not at all. But uh, in my exploring of what does it mean, I think I read a lot of really good books. And so um, for me, I'm looking at my list because I did make a list of these books like the best of. Um, there is a really good short book by Peter Kraft, who I love, called 40 Reasons I'm a Catholic. I read yeah. that, I think, in probably 
two afternoons and it was delightful. It's, it's a little different than what he normally writes. Cause you know, he can get pretty heady as a philosopher, a literal philosopher. Um, but this is just a short, whimsical book that made me laugh in some parts, made me scratch my head in other parts, but it was real. it did the job I needed it to do. Mm-hmm. That was confirmed that we were on the right path. Um, so that was a good book at the beginning of the year. I think also, um, we've talked about it a little bit, but I re I, I finished up An Immovable Feast by Tyler Blansky. And yeah. that was a great nonfiction story written from a former Anglican as well. Um, his own journey. I'm not normally into faith memoirs. I think they yeah. can become a little too self-reflective, I think. But that one met me where I was at because I needed it. Like I needed somebody to say, you're not alone. And that book did that. And then um, I actually, this year was the first year I, I fully read the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, which is not exactly a book you read cover to cover normally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not like a book. I mean, it is a book, but he didn't write it, you know, with publishing it as a book in mind. But it was really eye-opening to that faith tradition. So um, I'm going to go with that. There's other books I read, I know, that were fantastic. But I'm drawing a blank, so I'm going to just park there. I, I, yeah, that that's a great book. And, um, you know, what I loved about that book more than anything was just the identification in the beginning. You know, I mean, like, I felt like I was the same person. Like, he lived so many of the same experiences. And I think there's this sort of child of the or teenager of the 90s, early 2000s experience that is really unique um, to people who grew up in faith traditions. Yeah. Um, and he kind of lived some of that. And it's really interesting. I mean, especially if you're the kind of person who never really felt at home in it and you tried to feel at home in it and you even pretended mm-hmm. and put on the masks to feel at home in it. Uh, he really pulls on those threads really well. We should yeah. link to that book. I like that book. I'm going to link to that book. I think we should have him on. I think he'd be a fun guy to talk with. He's a, he's a cool guy. I've, I've chatted with him a little bit offline and I think it'd be fun. So yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go with a really kind of, I don't know. I'm going to go with a two-parter. Maybe that's cheating. Um, I'm it's your say, test. I mean, you can. it's not cheating if it's your test. You're the teacher. I don't know if it's a test, but I guess what I'm going to go with is just piggybacking on what I've already asked you. And I'm going to just give the second part, which is when it's an unexpected obstacle. Because unexpe- I think it's helpful to remember this. These aren't questions all about like the lovely parts of the year. Yeah. What was an unexpected obstacle for you this past year? Yeah. So an unexpected obstacle. I, I did not see this coming in any way, shape or form. Um, I was part of uh, a briefing team. Um, I was part of the briefing team for a larger uh, criminal lawsuit that uh, some members of my firm were, were handling. And, um, at first I thought I was just going to be writing, doing a little bit of writing here and there, helping with some of the legal issues. Um, but I ended up, uh, uh, with them, uh, out of state in a different state for 22 out of 26 or 28, maybe it was 28 days. I can't remember. I lose count now, but for almost a month I was gone. And, um, we worked predominantly either in a basement, a hotel basement where we had this like room rented out or in the courtroom, which it was a, a federal courtroom. And typically those don't have a lot of windows for security reasons. And mm-hmm. so what ended up happening is I spent 22 days in 
uh, Colorado is actually where it was in a beautiful, otherwise beautiful location in windowless locations, researching and writing. And it about drove me crazy. Yeah. Uh, but it, so it was, it was an obstacle in a sense, but you know, when you, enter into situations or times that feel like obstacles, you learn these amazing things about yourself. And um, the team that I was with was an amazing team, great people, um, hardworking, yes, uh, type A driven, yes. But we uh, forged a very close relationship in that month. And and mm-hmm. so even though there was an obstacle, there was a, a, a way of really mining some beauty out of it um, and just finding, you know, really good kinship in it and, and just sort of kindred spirits, like locating your kindred spirits is always a fun thing to do. Um, and, and they become your second family. And it's not like that makes it easy, right? Because when you are living with people for a month, there are certainly ups and downs. But um, it was a really beautiful time uh, with some really Hmm. amazing people. And so even in the obstacles, you can find beauty. I wonder if that's going to be one of those times. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, like tragedy plus time equals comedy. Hmm. Like, I wonder if in a couple of years from now, you'll look back on that almost with fondness, like not really, but almost, I don't know. I think it depends. I mean, we're still, uh, we're still in that awkward stage of, uh, you know, the jury has it and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so Ah, if the outcome breaks the right way, you're, you're, Mm -hmm. you're right. If it breaks the wrong way, we will probably not feel super delightful about that month. So I guess we'll see, but, but even still, you, you know, even if things go poorly, I mean, that's that's the big lesson for me from the year is like you 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 can't manipulate or control outcomes outcomes are simply out of your hands like you do what you can do and you open your hands to results and as an attorney this is like a thing you have to get very comfortable with like Mm -hmm. i've presented my evidence i've made my arguments it's now up to someone else to decide the outcome and there's never been an attorney not really who doesn't believe what they're saying it's not that I argue because I'm paid to argue. I argue what I can credibly, straight-facedly, and in good faith argue, mm-hmm. right? And so, so as an attorney, like you actually believe this stuff that you present. Um, but when you present it, you really do have to open your hands and say, okay, you know, now someone else has to make a decision, and that decision doesn't affect my self-worth. It doesn't have any bearing on my personhood um it can crush my ego certainly but but maybe my ego needs to be crushed so there are so many lessons you can learn in that and that's just the constant facing of any obstacle teaches you uh uh, those things and so that's also been a big lesson that's come from it i was gonna say that sounds like good life stuff that has nothing to do with ever it has so much more to do with than just being a lawyer like that's you know there's a lot we can take from that as listeners who are not lawyers yeah yeah, to- and I think I mean I think we could we should all try to learn those lessons in our work. You know, if 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 you write your next book and it doesn't sell well, well, does that say anything about you as a person? Does that right. really indicate anything about your worth, your self worth? Mm-hmm. Um, does it mean the book was good that it was bad? No, it doesn't mean anything. It means that for whatever reason, the market didn't like it, right? And and you move on with life and you open your hands to outcomes and results. By the same 
a token, if it's a runaway success and it sells a million copies, does that mean that somehow, you know, you're praiseworthy or you're, you know, you know, the next greatest thing or the biggest, you know, it doesn't mean any of that either. It doesn't, it it shouldn't allow you to be inflated in your ego either. Um, And I think that applies no matter what the work we're doing. But that's kind of a tangent. That's kind of a tangent that I just went off on there. But it's such a good reminder. I think I need that right now, actually, <laughs> in the stage of my work right now. So, well, yeah, and so carry that with you. And when you sell yeah. 1 million copies of your next book, we'll all be here to remind you. It doesn't mean anything about you, Tish. It doesn't. I'm going to die. It's Ash Wednesday all That's the time. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And it'll be coming out during uh, that season. So there, it'll be appropriate. Exactly. So, Tish, tell yeah. me... What is the single, what was the single biggest time waster in your life in 2021? Oh, yeah. I was looking at that question and and thinking about it. Uh, Well, I'm going to say just, it's not a creative answer, but it's the honest truth. And that's maybe YouTube. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I am not, uh, I I've done well, I think this past year, not being on social media very much, not even being on the internet as much as previous years. But I think I found myself just going down some YouTube rabbit holes that I did not see coming. It almost blindsided me. And that's not to say it's not my fault. It's 100% my fault. Um, But I can look back and see how I probably justified some of my YouTube consumption because I was doing something else. You know, I am cooking dinner. So I'm going to just watch this while I'm cooking dinner. I'm folding laundry. I'm, you know, insert task. And that's not necessarily to say that's bad to, you know, listen to something. It's the same way we consume podcasts as well. Right. But I think, um, I would avoid silence in that way. Like I would, um, build the space that I think I needed more in my life by Mm -hmm. probably just seeing, you know, just clicking the thing that YouTube decided would keep me hooked to their with their tricky algorithms, you know, and it's annoying as anything. And I hate that. And I get onto my own kids about it, but there it is. Right. I mean, their algorithms work. And I say they are meaning like most of these tech companies, they know what they're doing. And so, um, I want to be better at that. And that's not to say YouTube doesn't have some value because it does. Um, but I think I did spend more time than I wanted to this past year, just watching videos that, the net um, benefit in my life is probably not worth the time spent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's my honest answer. Yeah. I uh, hate, you know, but there it is. I think that, well, I mean, listen, you're human too. We're all human. Yeah. I think we're all subject to that. I, that's why, as we'll talk about more, I'm sure next year, I think I'm starting 2022 off. And I've tried to really be careful about how I word this because it's really tricky, right? Like I, I at first I said any non-necessary technology. I was going to fast from any non-necessary technology for six months, and then that, mm-hmm. that really didn't seem to get at it because it was like, well, could you say that news is necessary? Yeah, I mean, technically, you could say that news is necessary, and how do we get news but consume it? That you know, on the internet, um, and then it was like things that are helpful, right? Like things like 
you know, writing my Monday reflections on my blog or issuing a Substack are those necessary forms of technology? Probably not. Is Goodreads necessary? No, it's not. So I've started to ask myself, how am I going to couch this challenge? And it's more of like the curated information and algorithmically driven uh, communications. I think that's the kind of stuff I'm going to try to uh, fast from because it it really is a time waster. I mean, I can get on mm-hmm. YouTube and find myself there an hour later and I can't even tell you what I've watched. Right. Uh, right. I can get on Twitter and scroll for 15 minutes and be like, why am I even doing this? I know. I don't like any of these people. What is happening? Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And so it, it is, it's like, it, even if you have all the best intentions of the world of not getting sucked in, like those things are geared to suck you in. Well, and I think you hit on something for me because I can justify YouTube having its place in a, in my life in a way that I can justify not needing social media for me. Like, I don't like Instagram as much as like, I, I know you tolerate it more than I do. Yeah. I really and truly don't like Instagram. And I was barely on this past year. And I kind of have learned that my life, there's a net benefit in yeah. my life to not being on it. But I can justify YouTube in a way that can really turn from totally reasonable to unhealthy because yeah. there's a lot of there's DIYs for our home renovation on YouTube. You know, um, super helpful. Can, yeah, there are some helpful things I have learned about certain investing strategies, for example, from a certain YouTube channel I follow. Genuinely helpful in my real life. But yeah. that's where it can get really tricky because I can justify it to where now I am watching this person. You're right. I genuinely don't like this person, but I still want them to, I still feel this like brain, you know, out of body experience where I'm clicking on them because I want to know what they think about this stupid topic that I don't care about. And then it's like, wait, what am I doing with my, with my brain? So, yeah. I, I think to me, to me, the thing that that cued me in and clued me in to that on YouTube, and I won't say the name of the individual because one, mm-hmm. it's quasi slanderous, but two, I don't necessarily want to give him any more yeah. attention. Perfect. But Perfect. you know, I was uh, watching these videos almost every day of this sort of faith YouTuber who was always taking issue with every single thing that he couched as liberal and progressive and, you know, not conservative Catholic enough for him. And I was like, man, why do I don't even like this guy? Why am I even listening to him? Um, And my life is so much better, but it wasn't just about that guy. It was about all manner of things that I found myself watching and listening to um, sometimes just for critique purposes. And like, why, why do we listen for, critique that's such a time waste right right yeah that's a great point i'm reading a book right now that i like because he's a really smart guy but so far he's not getting to the what do we do about these critiques um so all he's doing is tearing down like this sucks and this sucks and this sucks and that can mess with your soul after a while like i learned i can't i can't read this book right before bed because i just fall asleep feeling angst. It's like, yeah, there's a place for calling out bad things, but where's the, you got to have the hope tied to that. Kind of like what I was talking about with Lent and I don't know, there's, there's gotta be a purpose to that. And um, yeah, so I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, these algorithms, and we're going to get into this in the new year when we start talking about this, but these algorithms are purposely created um, to where, these sorts of critiques actually are what drive traffic. So 
that's not on accident. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it difficult too, because, but you know, both of us as people who create content, like it'd be super easy to go out there and generate some, you know, critique worthy and critiquing headline, you know, blog posts or, you know, articles or whatever, um, or to say really inflammatory things about people and create beef on our podcast, um, with people, you know, I don't know. I can't think of a good, we should, we should create a beef with Haley that she's <laughs> oh, terrible. I don't know. Um, but we could do that. And then, you know, Dave and Karen, nah, you know, you could create this beef and create this controversy. Mm-hmm. that generates eyeballs and, and listenership. But man, that's just such a vacuous way of living. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into that more in the new year and talk about what we can do about it as people besides just hate it. Because I think it's here to stay, that way of thinking. And so we need to figure out how to live well in the midst of that everywhere. So yep, I look forward to more of that. Agreed. Okay. So you want to do maybe one more each? Because yeah, last, last in, maybe last one. Last round. Okay, Seth. What was the biggest thing you learned this past year? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think I learned uh, this year that it's never uh, too late to learn something new and to do something new. Hmm. Um, I'd never been involved on a criminal in a criminal case before. I'd never joined a criminal team until this year and, and found it was something that I actually really enjoyed. Hmm. Um, I hit two PRs in the gym in the last week, which feels really good. These are new things, new goals that I achieved. Um, you know, I think it's really easy as we get older to sort of begin to give up our goals and to sort of push the goals down to our children, you know, like yeah. you know, all my good years are behind me. And so now it's all about what college can my kids get into or what, right. you know, what grades can they make or what can they achieve on the basketball court? And I, and I genuinely hope that all of my kids do a little bit better than I did. Right. I like, I really do hope that, but you know, we don't stop having goals until we stop breathing. Right we don't stop having new experiences until we stop breathing. And so I think the thing that I learned is like my best years really aren't behind me. They're really mm. all in front of me. Yeah, that's good. I needed that. <laughs> um, it is funny because I, I hear it empirically. 44 is not old, but when you don't feel 44, it's, it messes with your head, you know? Yeah. And it, you can start believing this idea of like, especially when your kids are the age our kids are, you know, we have very similar age kids where they are, they've got one foot out the door in some ways. And so you just start focusing on that. And I can see how parents can unintentionally live vicariously through their kids. Um, And so that's a good reminder that um, if we're still here on earth, then we're still here on earth for a reason. That's right. That's right. And, and even I think, you know, I like what you, what you just said there, but I would even go a step further, like reason aside, like Mm -hmm. I'm not here trying to like live out my purpose. I know that sounds really weird to say, right? Like I want to live on purpose, um, but really like you're alive. That's beauty enough. That's the gift enough. And so to live that out intentionally is super important. So anyway, so I think I would probably direct that same question back at you. What's the biggest thing you learned this year? Um, gratitude changes. Everything is Hmm. what I learned. 
um, which sounds very like Hallmark Channel or put that on a pillow, but it's the God's honest truth. I started this practice this past year much more intentionally writing down things I'm thankful for, which I always knew was a good practice, but I really did it this year. I wrote down almost daily three things I'm grateful for. And when you do it daily, you get really specific. So you start going from like the concept of coffee all the way to like this particular coffee mug with the stiff in the top that came from that time when we went to this place, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you start recognizing the little things in your life that are genuinely good. And I think that th- that dovetails well with the idea that you said too. just, it's not so much like these things are the purpose of life um, or that they are, you know, they're your defining meaning to why you are here on earth, but it reminds you how much your life is not about you and that you're invited to be a part of it here. And so why not do well with it? Why not, you know, in response to gratitude, um, make choices for the greater good, make decisions and take steps that are a net benefit to you and your family because of all the good things, you know, I wrote a yeah. piece earlier in the year that I, I still think about a lot, not because it was like so full of wisdom, but because it like blindsided me. this idea. Um, so often as people, we ask, like, why is there bad in the world? When really mm. we're asking the wrong question. We should be asking, why is there anything good at all? Like, yeah. why is anything good on earth? Yeah. Um, we're not, you know, it's not required, like meaning like we're not owed it. And yet, gosh, there's so much good in the world. And so to live in recognition of that changes everything. And I think that was, that was my biggest lesson this past year. And it was such a good thing for me because I'm a curmudgeon by nature. I, I'm kind of this, like, you know, the get off my lawn type of person. (laughs) And, and it's, it's good for me to remember, my gosh, most of life is pretty daggum great, you know? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And if anybody would like to cross stitch that and uh, send it to Tish as a present from you and me, then let's make it happen. I will totally take it and I'll hang it proudly. Gratitude Um, changes everything. That's right. So Seth, I think with that in mind, this is a really great way to wrap up this chat as well as this year by um, doing what we always do, which is Naming things that are adding more beauty to our life. So Seth, what are you reading, watching, or listening to that is doing just that? Well, this is an easy one for me right now. I have a dear friend uh, who produces a podcast called Beer Grease. Mm-hmm. Um, we we run into each other from time to time because um, our son's playing the same basketball team. He used to be my mm-hmm. son's coach. Uh, he's just an all around good guy. He's a hunter. He's a professional hunter who used to run a magazine called bear hunting magazine. I am not a hunter. That's not what I do. I am a fly (laughs) fisherman. I do love to fly fish. So I do love the outdoors, but hunting has never been my thing. And so you may be wondering right now, Seth, why are you recommending a hunting podcast? Well, (laughs) it's not really that. It's more than that. It is really more of a conversation about history and anthropology. Um, and it, it th- his storytelling is so good. And the interviews that he pulls off are so good. And, um, and he's trying to 
sort of show the 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 goodness and the beauty in the world and the truth in the world that sort of existed from time and memorial. So he does it through, you know, talking about Native American culture and even early exploration culture. And um, his latest podcast, he actually talks about what is it is it what does it look like to marry sort of science and faith and you know this isn't a faith podcast it's a very secular podcast but um but it it was very it's it's really well done the last episode particularly was very well done um but in general i think i'm listening to that and i'm thinking like i really just like i liked the guy before but now i just really really like him he he's salt of the earth kind of people. And I think we just need more people like that in all walks of life. People trying to say Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, I may be a teacher or I may be in mechanic or I may be whatever. Um, but I'm going to try to share my outlook on the world and learn as much about the world, uh, as best I can through really good stories. And he's doing that. Well, and I think that's ultimately what it is. We like to talk about here, right? The sacramentality of all things. And so, it sounds like he does that in his own way, even if you would call it that. So um, totally, he was yeah. on uh, he was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast not too long ago. Talk about Dang. hunting hunting bros. But anyway, um, mm. he he was on Rogan's podcast and and. Rogan asked him something about what, you know, why hunting was important to him. And and his response was like, hunting isn't just a hobby. It is a way of life. And if you really are connected with the world around you and really connected with nature and really connected with the outdoors, it informs everything, including the sanctity of my marriage. And then he went on to share about the sanctity of marriage on a, you know, a podcast that probably hasn't (laughs) had anyone ever use the phrase sanctity of marriage. So he's one of those guys that's really intriguing to me. And, um, and I think he's worth a listen, even if you're not a hunter. That's cool. Cause I'm certainly not a hunter and I actually have a hard time understanding the appeal to it. So I should listen to it because of that. So, yeah, no. I think, I, and I think that that's probably, honestly, that's probably what we, we need more of, you know, instead yeah. of saying, uh, you know, I don't understand these people or how could these people think this way or believe this way, which, you know, I'm sure Clay and I don't agree on everything, but, um, you know, really like giving them an audience and listening and saying, okay, what is, what is it that's, that's behind this? Um, yeah. and I think when you listen yeah. to Bear Grease, you'll find there's some really beautiful stuff behind it. So that Very is cool. my listen of choice, particularly to all you listeners who are hunters or married to hunters, yeah. um, especially if yeah. you're married to hunters and you don't quite understand it. So, yeah. Right. Anyway, like so it. Tish, what's one thing that yeah. you're listening to watching reading that is bringing mm-hmm. more truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? Well, seeing as it is the season of Christmas coming up, I am reading a book that I just got last year, so I can't quite call it a tradition yet, but I think it might be. It's called The 25th, meaning it might be soon, uh, one of my traditions. It's called The 25th, New and Selected Christmas Essays by Joshua Gibbs. I've talked about it Mm. in the podcast before, I believe, but it's been a while, probably since last year. Um, It is just a simple book. It's not very long. It's eight essays just about Christmas, and Joshua Gibbs is one of my favorite modern writers where he just thinks he thinks interestingly i don't agree with everything he says but he gives me a lot to think about and so he's got Mm. essays on like in defense of santa claus when to start listening to christmas music um (laughs) what if christmas is exactly what it purports to be um really good stuff but i'm gonna read actually a little snippet from one of his essays that i think you would appreciate and it's called in defense of george bailey Mm. um and I went straight to this essay first when I first read it because I'm, you know, you such a big fan of Wonderful Life. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Like totally. And for, okay. for the listeners who don't know, George Bailey is the protagonist in It's a Wonderful Life. Correct. Exactly. So he gets into, I'm not going to read very much of this essay, but he writes it because he was reading more and more critiques about it um, in our ever moderning world of um, why it perhaps is not as great a movie as, as everyone has long thought sure. it to be. So this is what he wrote. So um, he starts off, I'm just going to read the first few sentences to for framing. He says, any debate about the merit of It's a Wonderful Life is, by this point, largely super. There is no cinematic equivalent of Homer, but no film comes as close as Capra's 1946 Christmas classic. 74 years is a long time for a pop culture artifact to last. And then he gets into basically this is that's his thesis, you know, of explaining why. Um, and then he gets into um, the arguments against it. And I'm going to read this one part that he says that I just think is really great. He says, having seen the film a dozen times since I was a kid, I simply cannot accept the claim that the hero is presented as some kind of faultless human being. If there's a faultless human being in the film, it's George's wife. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take a reluctant one like George Bailey. Mm. George's plans to make a name for himself are foiled year after year. And George does not take this in stride, but his frustration mounts until he begins lashing out at his friends, his family, and himself. Shortly before George goes out to kill himself, he shouts at his children and Mary, his wife, asks, why must, why must you torture the children? The question is not phrased in such a way as to suggest George's angry behavior is uncharacteristic, but that, has been, uh, but that it has been his way for a while. Thus, Clarence the Angel does not come down to prove to George that he is a good person, just that his good works have been seen by his father in heaven. His good works have not saved him. Clarence comes at the behest of George's family and friends who pray with earnest supplication that George will watch over uh, that God will watch over George and help him. And then I'll skip ahead. Um, As for the criticism that Clarence comes to flatter George, it must be noted that Clarence doesn't so much show George the world without him, but the world as it would have been had George gone off and pursued all his vainglorious plans of fame and fortune. Clarence does not come to tell George he should count his blessings and then name all the pleasant things still at play in his life like his pretty wife and his house and his decent health. As Boethius shows in The Consolation of Philosophy, counting your blessings is a fine thing to do when the chips are up. But when the chips are down, counting your blessings is a distraction from the more dire need to make your petitions known to God. If a man counts his blessings in the midst of his trouble, he might forget his trouble and forget to beg God God to arise and scatter his enemies. If you would not pertly respond to count your blessings to Christ on the cross after he bellowed the cry of dereliction, then do not tell others on on their crosses to count their blessings. Um, Instead, Clarence insists that George should be grateful for the good things God has done through him. At the film's denouement, Clarence says, you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. The word had is key. For After recounting the good things George has done, Clarence does not declare George a wonderful man. In performing his wonderful deeds, George has received the wonder of God. And then he gets into that a little that's, bit. More. That's but I just great. love, I know it's just such a good, like, heck yeah, man, that is the best movie ever. This is why, this is why it stirs us so much. Why it's the best time. And so it's just a really good nightstand kind of book, you know, where you don't feel like you have the time to read a full on novel, but you want something a little more totally. fulfilled and not just like, this is why the world sucks. Like the other book I'm reading. Um, so yeah, the 25th by Joshua Gibbs. I like it. And also, just for the record, anybody who levies those criticisms, the criticisms that he addresses, (laughs) those are ridiculous. I've never heard those. And if those are true, if he didn't just build up a bunch of straw men, if those are like actually true criticisms of the movie, then that goes to show that people are ridiculous and pitiful. 
Exactly. They yeah, it's on you, not them. As I tell my kids, my students, um, whenever we're reading a classic and they might not like it, I tell them it doesn't really matter <laughs> because right. it stood the test of time and it's older and more important than you are in the big scheme of human history. So be a student. And if you don't like it, ask why. So maybe that's the question someone could ask if they don't like it. Yeah. yeah. Why don't what's you wrong like with it? you? That's the question that I would ask me? you. If you don't like what's a wonderful life, what is wrong with you? That's and right. with that, that's let's right. close. <laughs> Good ending. Um, yeah, it's time to wrap it up. And it's time to wrap up this year because we are going to take a couple weeks off to enjoy the holidays and be in our offline worlds um, where we belong and where our listeners belong. So take this as an opportunity, I guess, to maybe back listen to the episodes or honestly be offline, you know, go bake some cookies and take long walks with friends. That's what this is about. So, yeah, you go do you, man. You go do you. Yeah. Be in your world. So you can find this episode as well as all episodes if you do want to listen to the back ones at drinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and what we're doing here and what we've been doing here this past year for you in 2021, you can help keep it going in 2022 by picking up the next round of drinks because like I always say, the show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint, you can really and truly play a big part. You can find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode or at a drink friend.com and as always thank you so much in advance you can find me and how to connect with me at tishoxenwriter.com seth how about you you guys can find me at sethhaines.com and come find me we're having fun over there yeah do that music for the show is by kevin mcleod editing is by kyle oxenwriter i'm tish oxenwriter with seth haynes and we will be back here with you in the new year so thanks for listening